welcome everybody here today, especially everybody out at our Stone Canyon and Vertigus campuses, as well as everybody online. So good to have you with us today and worshiping with us. Hey, uh, this past week was awesome. Uh, Wednesday night with our, our students here at our North Garnett campus, I uh, had a speaker come in and one gave his life to Christ and was baptized into Christ. So Yay, I know, uh, I think everybody got to see the baptism videos earlier in the service, so man, I love what God's doing right now as more and more people are coming to know Jesus, being baptized into Him, and church, let's keep on reaching lost people, all right? That's what we want to be about this year, as well as we continue to grow in our faith as we have found Jesus, all right? Hey, I hope that uh, you have been keeping up with reading through the book of Acts. We've been challenging you to do that, and we want to be a church that is reading God's Word. If we're going to grow in our faith, it's going to take us staying in God's Word and learning from Him and allowing Him to to work in us and grow us and stretch us. And so stay in His Word. This week we're going to be talking about Acts chapter 10 and 11, so hopefully you've read up through there. Next week, I'm going to challenge you over the next week to read chapters 12, 13, and 14, okay? So read chapters 12, 13, and 14 this week, and we'll all stay together as we walk through the book of Acts. Hey, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever wronged you uh, to such an extent that you just found it so hard to forgive? I think probably every one of us can think of an instance when somebody did something that hurt us, and uh, we, we struggled with extending grace to them and forgiving them. Maybe you can relate to the story of Jamil. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because 
he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Man, that's a great story of grace and forgiveness as we saw Jamil give forgiveness to now his friend, Andrew. Man, I think every one of us have probably had times in our lives where uh, we've had an opportunity to do that, and maybe it was a struggle for us to do that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you know we're called to forgive those who wrong us and hurt us. In our text today, uh, Peter finds himself trying to overcome a lifetime of indoctrination and division, and even a history uh, of his people that he has to overcome. It's a reality that he has been living in, but that reality is about to get flipped upside down. Uh, Peter had been, he, he had faced false realities in his life before. As we think through Peter's time with Jesus and the times that his reality had been challenged, we think about the time whenever Jesus said that he, as the Messiah, was going to have to suffer and die. And it was Peter that, that stood up and said, This shall never happen. You know, and, and Jesus said, There, hey, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, he kind of calls him out on it. Or maybe it's the time whenever Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and trying to teach them a little lesson and servant leadership, and, and it's Peter. When Jesus comes to Peter, Peter goes, are you, are you going to wash my feet also? Really? And Jesus has to give him another little lesson here that, that he must do that. And then there's the time whenever Jesus predicted that all of the disciples would fall away, and Peter made the statement, though all fall away, I won't. And it's before breakfast the next day, Peter had already denied him three times, and and even one time cursing at a little girl. Peter had faced his realities, his false realities, a number of times with Jesus. And in today's text, we're going to see him face another false reality or even a new reality that's laid out before him. There was a time over in Matthew chapter 16, right after the account we just talked about, where Peter proclaims Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus makes a statement to Peter. He says, you know what, Peter, it's going to be upon you that I'm going to build my church. And, and he says this to Peter, he says, you, it is to you that I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom. Well, what we've been seeing through the book of Acts is Peter taking that set of keys and he's opening up the world to the gospel as he continues to advance the kingdom. We saw it first at Pentecost whenever, whenever the gospel is laid out to the Jews. We see it later whenever Philip, being, uh, being put in leadership by Peter and others, he takes the keys and, and he opens up the door so that the gospel can go to Samaria. And now today, Peter takes the key to the Gentiles. He opens the door so that the gospel can be heard by the Gentiles and salvation can be found there. And so in our text here in, in, in Acts chapter 10, 
we see Luke, we hear Luke give us another account, a moment-by-moment, a play-by-play account of what happens as the Gospels go to the Gentiles. And the first account starts with Cornelius's vision. Cornelius's vision. Now, the question is, who's Cornelius? Who is this guy, Cornelius? Well, look at Acts chapter 10, start in verse 1, and let's start to learn a little bit more about him. It says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. There he is, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God and all his household, with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. More importantly, he was a, he was a centurion. He would have a hundred men who are under his command. It goes on in the text and it tells us that, that he was one who, who was a uh, follower of God. He feared God and not just him, but his whole household. He in some way, somehow had been influenced by the Hebrew religion which was a pretty crazy thing because that means that he, he believed in one God and it was known that the Romans believed in, in a plurality of gods, many gods, but not Cornelius. Somehow, someway, he had come to know the God of the Jews and he feared him. And not just him, but his whole household feared God and strived to follow after God. And not just that, but he, he tried to do the things that God would want him to to do. It says there in the text, he feared God and, and, and everyone in his roof, did, under his roof did. They, they had a reverence for God. But the question is this, does a reverence for God bring a person to salvation? No. No. Fear of God and reverence uh, is not the thing that brings, is that, that's not enough for salvation. It goes on and it says that he gave alms to the poor, to, to people who are in need. He performed good deeds for others. But, but can doing good works give salvation? Well, no. It goes on in the text and it says that he was a man of prayer. He, he sought after God in, in prayer. He prayed to God always, it says. But again, can a person be saved through their prayers? Well, no. Cornelius was a, a sincere man. No one would question that. But he was still an unsaved man. He had not come to know Jesus. Our sincerity does not win us a place in heaven. Matter of fact, hell is full of people who are sincere. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is over in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says this, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, here's what we know. Salvation is only found in the grace that God offers us that was accomplished through the blood of Jesus. And Cornelius, this man that we are introduced to, hasn't come to know Jesus. He's just seeking after God. He's on the right track. He's going the right direction. But he hasn't found salvation in Jesus. Look at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in, 
come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon when this happens. And he sees this vision. It says that he saw it clearly. He fastened his eyes, literally is what it says, upon it. There was no mistake that what he was seeing was real. And it brought, it says in the text, terror to him. He was fearful in this moment as he sees this unfold before him. There's a theological question that sometimes gets asked. Can an unsaved person do anything pleasing to God? Can an unsaved person do anything to get the attention of God? Well, according to Luke's account of Cornelius, the answer would be yes. Because that's what the angel says to him. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God has, has received it. God has, has heard you. Now this angel has come. This reminds us of, uh, that if any man truly wants to know God and seek after him, God will show him the way. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 puts it this way, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's a great promise. We'll seek after him. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to find God and you're trying to seek after him. I would say keep on seeking because you will find him. Maybe even today's that day that you'll find him. Cornelius is striving to know God, striving to live right, and God takes notice. Look at verse 5. And now send men to Joppa. The angel's still talking to Cornelius, and he tells him this. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So God is orchestrating this meeting between Cornelius and Peter, the apostle Peter. Now, it's interesting that Peter is in Joppa. The angel says, hey, go down to Joppa. That's where he's at. You're going to find him down there. Joppa, maybe you remember your Old Testament stories, is the place where Jonah ran to when God instructed him to take uh, good news or, or the news of repentance, take the message of repentance to Nineveh. It's Joppa where he runs to and where he gets on a ship and where he goes sailing out to sea trying to get away from what God's called him to do and then he gets ate by a big fish, all right? Well, that's where Peter is. And Peter's about to receive instruction as well and it's going to be interesting to see what Peter does. Will he be like Jonah? But another interesting thing is that Peter is staying in the house of a tanner. We were learning in the text there. A tanner who takes the hides of dead animals and tans them for, for selling them. and You see, to the Jewish culture, that would be something that is unclean. And the fact that Peter is staying in the home of Simon the Tanner already speaks to what Peter is grappling with, and that is the freedom that he has in Jesus. The fact that he is being willing to stay in this house of somebody who would be considered unclean under Jewish law just speaks to that he's already confronting this issue of freedom. Look at verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, Cornelius, called two of his servants and a devout soldier 
from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so he gets two servants out of his home. He gets one of his shoulders. And it seems, as the text says there, that, that it seems that they're all like Cornelius, striving to follow after God. And, and so Cornelius tells them everything that happened. Guys, you're not going to believe this. This angel came and he told me that I need to go to Joppa and get this guy named Peter. So I'm going to send you guys down there and you're going to go find him. And so he gets them together and he sends them off to go find Peter. And then we come to the next movement in the story that Luke tells us. And that's now Peter's vision. First we had Cornelius' vision. Now we have Peter's vision and in this text, in verse 9, we find Peter, it's on the next day, and he's up on a rooftop. It's about noontime, it's lunchtime, he's hungry, he's waiting on the meal to be prepared, but while he's waiting, he goes off to pray alone. And while he's praying, it says there in the text that he fell into a deep trance, and in this trance, he sees a vision of something like a sheet being let down from heaven in front of him. Look at verse 12. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter sees this vision of all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean according to his Jewish upbringing, and now he's being told to eat. He's being told to do something that he had never been allowed to do before and had never done before. Look at verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Does that sound familiar in Peter's story? Remember earlier when we talked about the different times whenever his false realities were being challenged by Jesus? Here's another one. By no means, I could never do that. But the Lord is laying before him a whole new reality. He is having to come again. He's overcoming a lifetime of teaching and indoctrination and history, tradition. But this is a new reality for him. Look at verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. You see, it's in this moment that God is revealing to Peter that this great divide, this division between clean and unclean has been done away with. This is, <laughs> this is one of the great verses in the Bible. You want to know why? This is the time. Mark this down. You might want to write this out to the side, all right? This is going to change your life. This is the time when, it's became, when it became okay for us to eat Bacon, <laughs> yeah, that's when that became clean, when pork became clean, everything became clean. And so our freedom is being made realized in this moment to Peter. Look at verse 17, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for, for Simon's house, stood at the gate. 
and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And so it says there that he was inwardly perplexed. I mean, Peter is wrestling over this. This is, this is a whole new reality for him. Is this really what I'm, I'm seeing? Is this what I'm understanding? And so as he's wrestling with it, Cornelius' guys show up at the house. Look at verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, he's still wrestling with this, pondering this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. When it says go down there without hesitation, literally it says make no distinction. You see, the vision was about food, but what God was really talking about was about people. There is to be no division among us, no racial division, no economic status division among us. And just to be clear, God says there, I have sent them. This is God working. He's orchestrating this to happen for Peter. He sent these guys specifically to Peter so that he could then take the gospel to them. Question, who's God sending to you? Maybe there's somebody in your life you trying to figure out why they popped onto the scene in your life. Maybe God sent them to you to share the gospel with. But whatever the case, Peter, he has these men who are there. He comes down off the roof. He goes to them. And he, he asks them why they're there, and they tell him. And then they stay the night there in Joppa. And the next day they get up to head to Caesarea. And now we come to another movement in the story. We go from Cornelius' vision to Peter's vision, now to Peter's message. You see, there in Caesarea, Cornelius, as, as, as he sent out the men, he has brought together all his family and all his friends. This is a huge event. And now Peter and the other guys, uh, along with six of Peter's buddies, they all arrive there. They come in to, to uh, Cornelius' house. And when they come in, Cornelius immediately falls down on his knees before Peter. He's a little bit confused. He thinks that Peter might be another angel. Uh, but Peter says, no, 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 get up. It's not what this is about. I'm a man just like you. And so they begin to, to share with each other, and Peter uh, makes them aware in verse 28 <laughs> to start with. He says, hey, hey, you know, number one, you know that what I'm doing right now, walking into the house of a Gentile, is unlawful according to Jewish theology and teaching. But God has made it clear that I'm supposed to be here. This is a God thing that's happening here. And then it seems that Cornelius and Peter kind of swap stories of what's happening. You know, Cornelius tells him about his vision and what he had seen and why he sent for Peter. And I have to think that Peter probably went, oh, you had a vision? I had a vision too. And they swap their stories about what God has done to make this moment possible. And then you look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
when it says there that he opened his mouth, literally, that he's beginning to teach. And he begins to teach by talking about what he has learned. You see, Cornelius and all the people in the house were not the only ones learning something this day, but Peter had learned something. That salvation was available to everyone. Jeremiah chapter 32, I think, kind of speaks to this. That salvation is available to everyone in every nation. Verse 26 there in Jeremiah 32, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Hear that. All flesh, not just Jewish flesh, those with Jewish blood, but all flesh, all peoples. I am everybody's God. And he goes on, he says, And anything, is anything too hard for me? Really? Is anything too hard for me? I'm everybody's God, and I can do anything. I can reach anyone. Anything is possible, and everyone is welcome. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in the same, on the same level before God. No matter your skin color, your nation of origin, your gender, you are a candidate for salvation from God. Peter tells them, he goes on in the story, and he begins to tell them all about Jesus. This salvation that is available to everyone, it was only accomplished through Jesus. And so he begins to unpack for them all that he had seen Jesus do, that, that God sent Jesus to Israel. He brought good news and he brought peace. He was baptized and, and he began to do powerful works and he did good to so many and he healed people. And he says, we all witnessed it. We saw it happen right in front of us. But he says, you know, in spite of all the good he was doing, the lives that he was changing, the Jewish leaders, they didn't like it. He was getting too popular. He didn't fit what they thought was reality. And so they killed him. They hung him on a cross. But God raised him three days later, he says. He rose again, and so many people saw him. We didn't just see him physically, but we saw him eat and drink. He was alive. And we witnessed it. He's the one. And now we've been commanded, we've been sent to go and preach the good news to everyone. And our everyone just got a whole lot bigger because now I'm here with you Gentiles. The gospel's been made available to you. And he goes on, he says, Jesus will be the one to judge. No king, no Roman authority that you bow to and others in your nation bow to. No, Jesus is the one who will judge when this life is over. Look at verse 43. He goes on, Peter says, To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter lays out the gospel and says this is available to you. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, those other six guys, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. 
Maybe you remember at the beginning of the series, we talked about that as you read through the book of Acts, you need to make a, a distinction between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because we see the Spirit doing both as He indwells the lives of new believers who come to Christ and are baptized in Him, and as He manifests Himself on those who become believers. And that can happen at any place before, after salvation. He can manifest Himself, make Himself known through the speaking of tongues and other miraculous things. And that's what we see happening here as it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they begin to do things that blow the minds of these other Jews. They're saying, we, we would never expect this to happen to Gentiles. Isn't this just, wasn't this just a Jewish thing? No. God has put his stamp of approval upon the Gentiles. But how did he do it? How did he make them known? It says this in verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. That's how the Spirit manifested himself. Go on. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. You see, God, Peter's saying God has just poured out the Spirit on them just like He did on us back at Pentecost. Remember when we were in the room and a sound like a rushing wind came in and the Spirit descended upon us, and we began to speak in tongues, and then we went out and we spoke, and everybody heard us in their language. He says, that's what we see happening here, and if that's what's happening to them, what just happened, what happened to us earlier, then they can take the next step. Salvation must be available to them. They need to be baptized, Acts 2.38, for the forgiveness of sin and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Don't miss the significance of this moment because this is the moment where you and I who are not Jews were grafted in to God's family. Salvation was made available to us, to everyone in this moment. But the story doesn't end there. The final movement in our text is whenever we see the reaction of the church leaders, when they find out about this, the other leaders back in Judea had, had heard about this and just thought, this is crazy. No way would that happen. And go to verse 2 there in Acts chapter 11. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? You see, the circumcised party are those who are trying to hold on to the Mosaic law, but yet also trying to hold on to Jesus, and they're trying to balance the true two. You have to do both, they think. And so they criticize Peter whenever he does what he did to, to go to the Gentiles. And when they say you ate with them, that's saying you fellowshiped with them, you, you accepted them. No way would God be okay with that. But look at, but Peter goes on to tell them the entire story of what happened. He tells them about 
Cornelius' vision and his vision. And he tells them about whenever he comes and he, he tells them about Jesus and when the Holy Spirit falls on them and just amazement of, that overcame them as they watched that happen. And then as they went and they, they baptized Cornelius and all of his household and those who were there. And, and he recounts everything that happened. And you come to verse 18 in Acts chapter 11. After Peter had said all these things, and it says, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. There was nothing they could say. It was obvious. Salvation had gone to the Gentiles. And it just revealed one more thing. That in God, anything is possible. Salvation is available to everyone. God's grace, God's love can be extended to those who we would think never deserve it. Could never receive it. Back in 2013, I had the opportunity to, to go to prison with the Kairos Prison Ministry. I've told stories about that in the past. And there was a conversation I had the very first day when I met a guy by the name of Chris. He was kind of to be my, my partner through that time. He was an inmate there, and he was the guy that I was supposed to spend time with just to meet with, share with, and let him uh, just kind of mentor him through the time there and one of the things that they told us is do not ask them about why they're there but in our first conversation he just blurted it out told me his whole story how he got in with the wrong crowd then got into a gang and then got to doing drugs got to selling drugs and and when you just go all the way down the roll he finally ended up killing a man which brought him and got him into prison he had three kids and he shared that just three years prior to that, his dad had died, and just a little while after that, his little brother had been killed. He, had, he was sharing with me just about his time there in prison and how hard it had been, and then he said, but you know, something happened one day. He said, I was sitting in my cell when a new inmate was brought in, coming down the corridor. And as he walked past my cell, I saw his face. And I realized, that's the man that killed my little brother. And then he said something to me. It struck me. He said, I am working hard to forgive him. Because the family of the guy that I killed told the judge that they forgave me. I was blown away by what he had to say. And what I heard was grace. What I heard was forgiveness. That he was trying to extend. He was working through it in his own life. But he was trying to bring forgiveness. Why? Because he had received that forgiveness. You see, once we've received it, once we've received grace, we're expected to give it, to extend it to everyone. 
But just like Peter, many of us who are in the church, followers of Jesus, sometimes we come into this subject with false realities. And we think this is all about us. And this is all for us. And the church is for us. It's all about me. No. It's about them. It's about lost people who need to be reached with the gospel. Need to be reached with grace that has been made available to everyone. There is no divide. Grace is not to be withheld from anyone. So question, who do you need to extend grace and forgiveness to? Who is it that maybe God has sent to you to speak salvation to? Who is it that is lost in your circle of influence that you might have the opportunity to share salvation with? Don't rule anybody out because anybody and everybody is a candidate for God's grace and salvation. Wrap your arms around this, this statement. Because God's grace is available to anyone, anything is possible. Did you hear that? Because God's grace is available to anyone. He's opened up the floodgates of His love and His grace to anyone who would receive it. The worst of sinners It's available to anyone. So anything is possible because everyone is a candidate for His grace. That's why we strive to be a community where everyone is welcome because we know no one is perfect. But with God, anything is possible. Father in heaven, may that be the reality that we grab hold of today, that we would not write anybody off, but that we would recognize that everyone is a candidate for your salvation and grace. So God, open our eyes up to those around us that you send to us, that we can share your love, your good news with, your good news of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.